Chapter Eighteen of Deerbrook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eighteen of Deerbrook by Harriet Martineau. I am better now, Phoebe," said Mrs. Underby, sinking back faintly in her easy chair after one of her attacks of spasms. "I am better now, and if you will fan me for a minute or two. I shall be quite fit to see the children, quite delighted to have them. I declare, said the maid, here are the drops standing upon your face this cold day, as if it was August. But if the pain is come, never mind anything else. And I, for one, won't say anything against your having the children in, for I'm sure the seeing your friends has done you no harm, and nothing but good. Pray, draw up the blind, Phoebe, and let me see something of the sunshine. Bless me, how frosty the field looks while I have been stifled with heat for this hour past. I had better not go to the window, however, for I begin to feel almost chilly already. Thank you, Phoebe. You have fanned me enough. Now call the children Phoebe. Phoebe wrapped a cloak around her mistress's knees, pinned her shawl up closer around her throat, and went to call the children in from the parlor below. Matilda drew up her head and flattened her back, and then asked her grandmamma how she did. George looked up anxiously in the old lady's face. Ah, George, said she, smiling, it is an odd face to look at, is not it? How would you like your face to look as mine does? Not at all, said George. Mrs. Underby laughed heartily, and then told him that her face was not unlike his once as round and as red. And as shining in frosty weather, perhaps if you were to go out now into the frost, your face would look as it used to do. I am afraid not. When my face looked like yours, it was when I was a little girl and used to slide and make snowballs as you do. That was a long time ago. My face is wrinkled now because I am old and it is pale because I am ill. George heard nothing after the word snowballs. I wish some more snow would come. He observed. We have plenty of ice down in the meadows, but there has been only one fall of snow, and that melted almost directly. Papa thinks there will be more snow very soon. Observed Matilda, "If there is, you children can do something for me that I should like very much," said Grandmamma. "Shall I tell you what it is?" "Yes, you can make a snowman in that field. I am sure Mr. Gray will give you leave." "What good will that do you?" asked Matilda. I can sit here and watch you, and I shall like that exceedingly. I shall see you gathering the snow and building up your man, and if you will turn about and shake your hand this way now and then, I shall be sure to observe it, and I shall think you are saying something kind to me. I wish the snow would come," cried George, stamping with impatience. "I do not believe Mamma will let us," observed Matilda. "She prohibits our going into Mister Gray's field." But she shall let us that one time," cried George. "I will ask Papa and Mister Gray and Sidney and Uncle Philip and all. When will Uncle Philip come again? Sometime soon, I dare say. But George, we must do as your mamma pleases about my plan. You know, if she does not wish you to go into Mister Gray's field, you can make your snowman somewhere else. But then you won't see us. But I know what I will do. I will speak to Sidney. And he and Fanny and Mary shall make you a snowman yonder, where we should have made him. 
Mrs. Enderby pressed the boy to her, and laughed while she thanked him, but said it was not the same thing seeing the greys make a snowman. Why, George, said Matilda, contemptuously, when will Uncle Philip come? asked the boy, who was of opinion that Uncle Philip could bring all things to pass. Why, I will tell you how it is, my dear. Uncle Philip is very busy learning his lessons. The boy stared. Yes, grown-up people, who mean to be great lawyers, as I believe Uncle Philip does, have to learn lessons like little boys, only much longer and much harder. When will he have done them? Not for a long while yet. But he will make a holiday some soon, and come to see us. I should like to get well before that. Sometimes I think I shall, and sometimes I think not. Does he expect you will? He expects nothing about it. He does not know that I am ill. I do not wish that he should know it. My dears, so, when I feel particularly well, and when I have heard anything that pleases me, I ask Phoebe to bring me the pen and ink, and I write to Uncle Philip. And why does not Mamma tell him how you are? Ah, why indeed, muttered Phoebe. She knows that I do not wish it. Uncle Philip writes charming long letters to me, as I will show you. Bring me my recticule. Here, here is a large sheet of paper, quite full. You see, under the seal and all. When will you write such long letters, I wonder? I shall when I am married, I suppose, said Matilda again drawing up her little head. You married, my love, and pray when are you to be married? Mamma often talks of the time when she shall lose me, and of what things have to be done while she has me with her. There is a great deal to be done indeed, love before that day, if it ever comes. There are more ways than one of losing a child, observed Phoebe, in her straightforward way. If Mrs. Rowland thinks so long beforehand of the one way, it is to be hoped she keeps Miss Matilda up to the thought of the other, which must happen sooner or later, while marrying may not. Well, Phoebe, said the old lady, we will not put any dismal thoughts into this little head. Time enough for that. We will leave all that to Miss Young. Then, stroking Matilda's round cheek, she inquired, My love, did you ever, in your life, feel any pain? Oh, dear, yes, Grandmamma. To be sure I have, twice. Why don't you remember last spring I had a dreadful pain in my head for nearly two hours on George's birthday? And last week, after I went to bed, I had such a pain in my arm, I did not know how to bear it. And what became of it? Oh, I found at last I could bear it no longer, and I began to think what I should do. I meant to ring the bell, but I fell asleep. Phoebe laughed with very little ceremony, and Grandmamma could not help joining. She supposed Matilda hoped it might be long enough before she had any more pain, in the night-time, certainly, Matilda said, and not in the daytime. Is not the pain as bad in the daytime? Matilda acknowledged that she should like to be ill in the daytime. Mamma took her on the lap when she was ill, and Miss Young was so very sorry for her, and she had something nice to drink. Then I am afraid, my dear, you don't pity me at all, said Grandmamma. Perhaps you think you would like to live in a room like this, with a sofa and a screen, and Phoebe to wait upon you. And whatever you might fancy to eat and drink, would you like to be ill as I am? Not at present, said Matilda. Not till I am married. I shall enjoy doting as I like when I am married. How the child's head runs upon being married, said Phoebe. And to suppose what being ill is doing as one likes, of all odd things. 
"'I should often like to fly all over the world,' said Mrs. Enderby, "'and to get anywhere out of this room. "'I am so tired of it, but I know I cannot. "'So I get books and read about all the strange places "'far off that Munga Park tells us about, "'and Gulliver and Captain Perry, "'and I should often like to sleep at night when I cannot, "'and then I get up softly without waking Phoebe "'and look out at the bright stars "'and think over all we are told about them.' about their being all full of men and women. Did you know that, George? asked she, George being now at the window. Oh, yes, answered Matilda for him. We know all about those things. Are falling stars full of men and women? asked George. There are none on a star that my father saw fall on the Dingleford Road, observed Phoebe. It wasn't big enough to hold men and women. Did it fall in the middle of the road? asked George, turning from the window. What was it like? It was a round thing, as big as a house, and all bright and crystal-like, said Phoebe, with absolute confidence. It blocked up the road from the great oak, as you may remember, close by the second milestone to the ditch on the opposite side. Phoebe, are you sure of that? asked Mrs. Enderby, with a face full of anxious doubt. Ma'am, my father came straight home after seeing it fall, and he let my brother John and me go the next morning early, to bring home some of the splinters. Oh, well, asked Mrs. Enderby, who always preferred believing to doubting. I have heard of stories falling from the moon. This was a falling star, ma'am. Can you show me any of the splinters? asked George eagerly. There is nothing whatsoever left of them, said Phoebe. By the time John and I went, we could not find a piece of crystal so big as my thimble. My father has often laughed at John and me since, for not having been there in time before it was all gone. It is a good thing, my dears, depend upon it, as I was saying, observed Mrs. Enderby, to know all such things about the stars, and so on, against the time when you cannot do as you like, and go where you please. Matilda, my jewel, when you are married, as you were talking about, and can please yourself, you will take great care to be kind to your mamma, my dear, if poor mamma should be old and ill, you will always wish to be tender to your mother, love i am sure and will do her more good than anything perhaps mamma won't be ill replied matilda then if she is never ill we will certainly be old some day and then you will be as kind to her as ever you can be promise me my love your mamma loves you dearly matilda she says i dance better than any girl in miss anderson's school grandmamma i heard tell her miss levitt so yesterday here comes mamma said george from the window your mamma, my dear, Phoebe, sweep up the hearth, hang that curtain straight, give me that letter, no, not that, the large letter, there, now put it into my knitting basket, make haste down, Phoebe, to be ready to open the door for Mrs. Rowland, don't keep her waiting a moment on the steps, she has not got to the steps yet, said George, she is talking to Mrs. Gray, Mrs. Gray was coming here, and mamma went and spoke to her, oh, Matilda, come and look how they are nodding their bonnets at each other i think mrs gray is very angry she wags her head about so there now she is going away there she goes across the road and mamma is coming up from the steps after a minute or two of silent expectations mrs rowland entered her mother's room she brought with her a draught of wintry air which as she jerked aside her ample silk cloak on taking her seat on the sofa seemed to chill the invalid, though there was now a patch of color on each withered cheek. How much better you look, ma'am, 
was the daughter's greeting. I always thought it would be a pity to disturb Philip about you, and now, if he were to see you, he would not believe that you had been ill. Mr. Rowland would be satisfied that I am right. I am sure if he were to come in. My mistress is nowadays better, said Phoebe, bluntly. She is not the better for that flush she has got now, but the worse. Never mind, Phoebe, I shall do very well, I dare say, said Mrs. Enderby, with a sigh. Well, my dear, how do you all go on at home? Much as usual, ma'am. But that reminds me, Matilda, my own love, Miss Young must be wanting you for your lesson on objects. Go, my dear. I hope Matilda was come for the day, said Mrs. Enderby. I quite expected she was to stay with me to-day. Do let me have her, my dear. It will do me so much good. You are very kind, ma'am, but it is quite impossible. It is totally out of the question, I assure you, Matilda, my love. Go this instant. We make a great point of the lessons in objects. Pray, Phoebe, tie Miss Rowland's bonnet and make haste. Phoebe did go, taking leave to observe that little girls were likely to live long enough to know plenty of things, after they had no grandmamas left to be a comfort to. Mrs. Enderby struggled to say, Hush, Phoebe, but she found she could not speak. George desired to go with his sister, and was scarcely allowed time to kiss his grandmamma. While Phoebe was taking the children downstairs, Mrs. Rowland wondered that some people allowed their servants to take such liberties as were taken, and gave notice that though she tolerated Phoebe because Phoebe's mistress had taken a fancy to her, she could not allow her family plans to be made a subject of remark to her mother's domestics. Mrs. Enderby had not quite decided upon her line of reply, when Phoebe came back and occupied herself in supplying her mistress first with a freshly heated footstool, and then with a cup of arrowroot. "'Where do you get your arrowroot, ma'am?' asked Mrs. Rowland. "'I want some extremely for my poor dear Anna, and I can procure none that is at all to compare with yours. Mrs. Gray was so kind as to send me home, my dear.' and it really is excellent. Phoebe, how much of it is there left? I dare say there may be enough for a cup or two for dear little Anna, Phoebe replied, that there was very little left, not any more than her mistress would require, before she could grow stronger. Mrs. Rowland would not take the rest of the arrowroot on any account. She was only wondering where Mrs. Gray got it, and how it was that the Grays always contrived to help themselves to the best of everything. Phoebe was going to observe that they helped their neighbors to good things as well as themselves, but a look from her mistress stopped her. Mrs. Enderby remarked that she had no doubt she could learn from Mrs. Gray or Sophia, the next time she saw either of them, where they procured their arrowfoot. It is a long time since I saw Mrs. Gray, she observed timidly. My dear ma'am, how can you think of seeing anyone in your present state? inquired the daughter. One need but see the flush in your face, to know that it would be highly improper for you to admit company. I could not take the responsibility of allowing it. But Mrs. Gray is not company, my love. Anyone is company to an invalid. I assure you I prevented Mr. Rowland's coming for the reason I assign. He was coming yesterday, but I would not let him. I should like to see him, however, and I should like to see Mrs. Gray, too. Under pretense of arranging her mistress's shawl, Phoebe touched the old lady's shoulder in token of intelligence. 
Mr. Enderby was somewhat flurried at the liberty which she felt her maid had taken with her daughter, but she could not notice it now, and she introduced another subject. Had everybody done calling on the hopes? Were the wedding visits all over? Oh, yes. Mrs. Rowland was thankful to say that fuss was at an end at last. One would think nobody had ever been married before by the noise that had been made in Deerbrook about this young couple. Mr. Hope is such a favorite, observed Mrs. Enderby. He has been so, but it won't last. I never saw a young man so, gone off as he is. He has not been like the same man since he connected himself with the grace so decidedly. Surely, ma'am, you must perceive that. It had not occurred to me, my dear. He comes very often, and he is always extremely kind and very entertaining. He brought his bride with him yesterday, which I thought very attentive, as I could not go and pay my respects to her. And really, Priscilla, whether it was that I had not seen her for some time, or that pretty young ladies look prettiest in an old woman's sick room, I thought she was more beautiful than ever. She is handsome, admitted. Mrs. Rowland, poor thing, it makes one sorry for her, when one thinks what is before her. What is before her? asked Mrs. Enderby, alarmed. If she loves her, her husband at all, she must suffer cruelly in seeing him act as he persists in doing, and she must tremble in looking forward to the consequences. He is quite obstinate about voting for Mr. Lowry, though there is not a soul in Deerbrook to keep him in countenance, and everybody knows how strongly Sir William Hunter has expressed himself in favor of Mr. Ballinger. It is thought the consequences will be very serious to Mr. Hope. There in his almshouse practice at stake, at all events, and I fancy a good many families will have no more to do with him if he defies the hunters, and goes against the opinions of all his neighbors. His wife must see that he has nobody with him. I do pity the poor young thing. Dear me, said the old lady, can nothing be done, I wonder. I declare I am quite concerned. I should hope something may be done. I would take the liberty of speaking to him myself rather than that any harm should happen to him. He has always been so very kind to me that I think I could venture to say anything to him. I will turn it over in my mind and see what can be done. You will not prevail with him, ma'am, I'm afraid. If Mr. Gray speaks in vain, as I know he has done, it is not likely that anyone else will have any influence over him. No, no, the willful must be left to their own devices. Whatever you do, ma'am, do not speak to the bride about it, or there is no knowing what you may bring upon yourself. What could I bring upon myself, my dear? Oh, those who do not see the vixen in that pretty face of hers have not such good eyes as she has herself. For God's sake, ma'am, do not offend her. Mrs. Enderby was now full of concern, and being as unhappy as she could be made for the present, her daughter took her leave. The old lady looked into the fire and sighed for some minutes after she was left alone. When Phoebe re-entered, her mistress declared that she felt quite tired out and must lie down. Before she closed her eyes, she raised her head again and said, Phoebe, I am surprised at you. Oh, ma'am, you mean about my taking the liberty to make a sign for you? But, ma'am, I trust you will excuse it, because I am sure Mr. Hope would have no objection to your seeing Mrs. Gray. And, to my thought, there is no occasion 
to consult with anybody else, and I have no doubt Mrs. Gray will be calling again some day soon, just at a time when you are fit to see her. It is not worth any book or anything, ma'am, that I could be carrying over to Mrs. Gray's while you are resting yourself, ma'am. Ah, do so, Phoebe. Carry that book. It is not quite done, but that does not signify. Carry that book over, and give my regards, and beg to know how Mrs. Gray and all the family are, and if Mrs. Gray should come in this evening, she continued in excuse to herself for her devices. I shall be able to find out in a quiet way where she gets her arrowroot, and Priscilla will be glad to know. Whatever it might be that Phoebe said to Alice, and that brought Mrs. Gray out into the hall to speak herself to Phoebe, the result was that Mrs. Gray's lantern was ordered as soon as it grew dark, and that she arrived in Mrs. Enderby's apartment just as the old lady had walked from her doze, and while the few years that had escaped from under her eyelids before she slept were yet scarcely dried upon her cheeks. End of chapter 18